Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I am your founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Renee Shire. And here's a bit about Renee. She is a Renaissance woman, truth seeker, and storyteller. Renee Shire is devoted to sharing the life and legacy of her husband, 80s power pop legend, Freddie Moore, who was diagnosed a decade ago with early onset Alzheimer's. For years, Freddie was center stage, a prolific singer, songwriter, musician, who sold out iconic Los Angeles clubs and opened for headlining bands like The Police, The Knack, and The Motels. Armed with Freddie's memoir, It's Not a Rumor, A Rock and Roll Journey Through Life and Alzheimer, and their love story that spans decades, Renee is reaching out to music lovers and families impacted by Alzheimer's telling previously untold stories that offer a glimpse into their life before and after. And without further ado, please welcome Renee Shire to GEMS Podcast. Hi, so nice to meet you and talk to you. Likewise, Michelle, and I'm so glad that you are keeping your husband's legacy alive, as well as educating people on Alzheimer's. So I want to start by, you know, getting to know a fun fact or interesting fact about you that definitely my audience doesn't know, and maybe not um, your audience. Well, um, about me, um, I, you know, I kind of always said about myself, I was nothing without Freddie. And I've learned from this whole experience about going through all of this that I'm not nothing. I, I think I have a lot in me to put out there and to share with people. And I want to educate people about Alzheimer's and just, you know, share my stories and memories about him and everything he's lost. And I think part of what really makes this um, meaningful to me is keeping his memory alive by me talking about it, it's keeping his memory alive. It's keeping his stories relevant. And it's, and it's making people understand that Alzheimer's is such a dehumanizing disease. I mean, there's no way to fight it, even though I tried. Um, and it just takes so much away from the person. You know what I mean? So I just, I want people to know that, that, you know, it, it's, um, it's difficult. It's difficult to get through it, but you can get through it and you have to learn to live and get, you know, move on and carry on kind of thing. And that's the important part, but we're going to start with the definition of Alzheimer's so we could set the foundation for those listening who may, you know, not really know what Alzheimer's is, or they may confuse it for dementia. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about, um, what is the definition of Alzheimer's? And then we'll go into looking for some early onset signs and symptoms. Okay. Um, Alzheimer's is when, I mean, most of the time, well, what I found was interesting too, is people with type two diabetes have a 50% chance of getting Alzheimer's because there's actually different types of Alzheimer's. It's, um, 
There's an insulin resistance Alzheimer's, which is what contributes to the type 2 diabetes. And what happens is when your body is processing sugar, is burning sugar instead of fat, it, there's a buildup of um, insulin and sugar in your, you know, blood sugar in your body. And that's what helps contribute to the formation of plaque on the brain. That's a confirmation of Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's disease consists of a couple of things. There's plaques and tangles that are developed in the brain. And what those plaques and tangles do is they suffocate the neurons that allow your brain to fire and make you know all of the things that you used to know. And it, it mostly, um, it, it hits different areas of the brain, the frontal cortex, it hits the hippocampus. In my case, my husband's um, brain was affected by the hippocampus. So in addition to him having type two diabetes, he was also genetically tested. And I know a lot of people do 23andMe and find out this information. He has two copies of the Alzheimer's gene, which is, you know, within your chromosomes, you have all these genes and he has actually two gene markers for it on his mother's side and on his father's side. So it's very prominent in his family. And, you know, he had such a beautiful brain. And the fact that this is strangling it, this Alzheimer's disease is strangling it is, it's just so sad because he had such a beautiful brain and he loved to learn. He loved, and I find that it Alzheimer's affects people who are incredibly brilliant and really smart and high, high functioning, high, you know, high levels of intelligence. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, it affects everybody, but it, it affects a lot of people who are really smart. So it's just interesting. It's fascinating. And I did a lot of research about it um, when going through this. And it's great that you um, did a lot of research going through it. So you kind of knew how to adapt to your husband, because I'm sure as a man, as a man who can't remember certain things and going through that, that ha had to take a toll on your husband. So you were, you know, his support system. And I'm going to just read a definite uh, dictionary definition here for Alzheimer's, just so I could put some more context around it. It says it's a progressive disease that destroys memory and other important functions. Some say that it's a form of senile dimension, and it's where the brain cell connections and the cells themselves degenerate and die, eventually destroying memory and other important mental functions. Mm -hmm. Memory loss and confusion are the main symptoms. And there's no cure that exists as we know today, but you know, with modern medicine and so much technology that may change later on, but medications and management strategies may temporarily improve the symptoms. So we, we hope that, you know, as time goes on and more people do research and we see, you know, progression that we will be able to find a cure. Cause I know when some, some people lose their loved ones, they donate the brain to the research centers so they could kind of figure out what's going on. So I'm if, doing that. I am oh, doing that. Can you talk about that journey a little bit? Because I don't know that much about it, Renee. Okay. So when I found out that my husband had Alzheimer's and I, I went back into his family history, 
I found out that, you know, his, his older brother has Alzheimer's, his mother had Alzheimer's and passed away from Alzheimer's. And at that time when I was doing all the research, I said to his sister, why didn't you donate your, his, your mother's brain to science so they can make some more improvements, you know, and try to get somewhere further with this. And she's like, oh, we just didn't think of it in time. So when I found out he was diagnosed, I immediately went to UCLA, which is close by here, and um, I spoke to them about donating his brain for science because there's no reversing it at this time and there's no getting him back. But I would like people in the future to benefit from, from some kind of knowledge from learning about this. And so he is part of this program through UCLA where they donate his, when he passes, his brain will be donated to UCLA for, for Alzheimer's research. That's incredible that you're doing that because you're giving someone else a fighting chance. Even though your husband is still living now, you and your husband together, because I'm sure he had a say in this decision. He did. Um, Y'all are putting it out there where his legacy is always going to live on because his brain is now going to be part of science and go through the discovery and et cetera. And I do feel like, you know, this is a controversial um, subject because some people due to their religious belief doesn't believe in donating parts of the organs for whatever reason. Right. And I think it's personal choice, but then also do your research to see how can donating, you know, some of the organs actually save people in the latter on. And that could also be a way that you continue to live on, even mm -hmm. though you're not here on the earth in living form. And so many people in his family have been affected by this that I think it's, it would be a great thing to contribute back if, if we could discover something from this research. So I think science is wonderful and I want him to try. He would too, you know, he would want, he wanted this too, you know, he would want to live on and, and hopefully come up with something. I mean, you know, they try a lot of things to, to cure this and they can't. So so um, from your perspective, um, Renee, and just being a caregiver of your husband and going through this, I know he had early onset of Alzheimer's. What were some of the signs and symptoms that you guys looked at to rule it as being Alzheimer's besides the genetics that was right. in his family lineage? And we didn't do that till later. Um, he was always so good. He had a great memory. I want to say he had like an identic memory. He could remember a lot of things. He, he just knew he was like a map before Google maps. You know, he said he could see things. He could see the city from above. Like he was looking down on it. He knew where every street was. So back when he first started showing symptoms, he was getting lost. And I was like, wait a minute, you, you never get lost. You know, this city, you know, you, you, everything and the fact that he was losing his car and he was getting lost and not knowing where he was that was my concern and I started to notice that and also he would do things like go to the mailbox leave and then unlock the mailbox with the key and then leave the key in the mailbox and go back upstairs and be like oh I lost my keys you're gonna have to come home from work because I lost my keys but they were in the mailbox and then he would leave the burners on on the stove, you know, like just leave something cooking by mistake. You know, he would just forget to turn it off. So those few things were the signs that I noticed right away. Okay. 
And then when you notice those signs, did you, what did you do to step in to like mitigate and kind of help them? Did you use flashcards or sticky notes or reminders to kind of be an extra guide to help him? Yes. I mean, the first thing we did was I told him he had to go get an MRI and he did not want to because he was very claustrophobic. <laughs> and I don't know if you've been in one of those MRI tubes, but it's really creepy. And they put you in and your face is like up against the, the thing and everything. But I made him do it. And um, and I stayed with him in the in the room. So he wasn't so freaked out. But um, and then after that, like you said, I would leave him notes every day. I would leave him a note, you know, don't forget to do this or don't forget to do that. And then I had sticky notes, you know, post-its everywhere. And I would put them everywhere. And I would also call him on the phone from work at 10 o'clock and just check in and make sure he was okay. And, you know, I just, I did all those things. We also did flashcards. So I, I would say, what day is today? And I would have these flashcards. I still have them. <laughs> so we did. That is amazing. And I'm going to um, call out seven stages here of Alzheimer. And then at the end, I want you to let me know which one resonates with you the most. Be and the reason why I want to add this piece is, is because I think whenever you are educating people on new subject matters, you have to put include tangible experiences as well as examples so it could really connect. So okay. this is by Penn Medicine. It says the seven stages of Alzheimer's. It says stage one is before symptoms appear. So this is like, you know, the pre-stage, the preclinical mm -hmm. Alzheimer's disease. Stage two is the basic forgetfulness, which is what you notice with your husband mm -hmm. when he um, lost his sense of direction. Stage three, noticeable memory difficulties. So an example they use is having more difficulty retrieving a name or word. Mm -hmm. uh, stage four, more than memory loss. So um, an example they said here is confusion about what day it is and where they are, or maybe increased risk of wandering off and getting lost. And sleep patterns can also be within that category. Stage five is decreased independence. So they talked about emotional changes, hallucinations, delusions, and paranoia. Stage six is the severe symptoms. So communicating may also become difficult. And then they also talk about um, one should remember that they are unaware of what they're doing at this point. So they, they're doing certain things, but they don't they're not cognizant of the activities that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, and that's also a part of that anxiety, hallucinations, delusions, and paranoia um, category, just but more intensified. And then stage seven is a lack of physical control where it um, reduces their mobility. Their body can be um, become vulnerable to infections like pneumonia. And then also um, something with their teeth and mouth. So do any of those ring a bell or just jump out at you, Renee? All of them. What? Um, all of them. Because what's so interesting is back way back when, when I started noticing that he was forgetful, um, I made him go for that MRI, right? And they didn't see anything because he was in the pre-stages. 
And then as things started getting worse, exactly the way you said it in those, it, when you were reading those stages, I remember going through all of those things and um, he did used to leave the house. He would go for walks, he would leave the house and he would just get lost and I would have to go find him. And, um, and then also, you know, the whole thing with the verbal, he would, we call it word salad. He would say things that didn't make sense. You know, he would call things, other things that they, they would say, or he would say things that wouldn't make any sense. And, um, and even later when he became, I would say in the severe case, he could no longer, um, well, and this is kind of gross, but in the beginning, you know, like with stage five, he would go to the, he would be in the bathroom, but he wouldn't know what to do after. And so I would go and sit in on the, I would sit on the bathtub and I would hand him the toilet paper. And after a while, he didn't even know what to do with the toilet paper. So I would help him with that. And then he didn't know how to shower or anything. And so I would help him shower or I would give him baths and, um, and now he doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and he does uh, forget to eat. And he, he's, in a, he's in a memory care facility now because I couldn't handle it anymore. But um, he does forget to eat there. And he, you know, eventually you're going to forget how to swallow. And he, he's still able to move around mobily, like he can walk. His body is pretty healthy. It's just his brain is not telling him what to do. Yeah, like the neurotransmitters aren't firing off and really just exactly. connecting the dots. And uh, that's commendable like that you went through that much time because it takes a lot. And believe me when I say this, to be a caregiver. I was a caregiver for a few months for my dad up until his passing in 2020. Um, so because. Sorry. Thank you. He got paralyzed from the waist down due to medical negligence and he became, you know, wheelchair bound. So just, you know, helping him change the diapers, you know, using a Hoyer lift, moving him from the bed to the couch or taking him um, outside and stuff. That's, that's a lot. And, you know, whether you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's or you're dealing with someone who's wheelchair bound or bed bound or whatnot, um, as caregivers, I want to talk about self-care because I think that's important. So what were some of the things that you, you did to make sure you were fitting in self-care and making sure you weren't burning out while, yes, you love your husband, you're dealing with his um, illness, but then you also have to make time for Renee too. Well, Part of what I, I think helped me a lot was writing his memoir because the, the process of going, I, I, I had him write it before he lost all of his memory, you know, and uh, with a co-writer and then I had to fill in the gaps. So the good thing was we got to keep preserving his stories and his memory alive by, by putting out It's Not a Rumor, which is his memoir. So um, that was really cool. And I used to listen, well, music was always a really good thing for us. You know, when we would listen to music, it always brought back things that made us happy and thought about it. And, and that's part of the reason why I put him at the memory care facility that he's at is um, they have a lot of music. They have music therapy all the time. They have a drum circle. They have all kinds of music all the time. And that's what he was very comfortable there because of that. So, because music's been a huge part of his life. So, you know, 
Um, for me on the self-care, there was time, there were times I got down to like 127 pounds and I was um, very thin and I wasn't eating and I was really depressed and I was really down. So the self-care of it is really hard, but um, thank God for my family <laughs> and I have great support system in them. I have three older sisters and they are just lovely and they helped me out so much and I have a lot of really good friends. Um, I did go to therapy a little bit. Right now I'm doing support group with a lot of the other people in uh, from the memory care facility, all the other families. So I do support group like two times a week and it really helps. And um, and just, you know, talking to you is almost like therapy. So <laughs> I think that's part of my self-care in a way. Oh, nice. And I'm so, so glad. Like, I love when other people could intersect and connect with people who are going through something similar because everyone's journey is going to be a little, a little bit different. But then you can actually understand where that person is coming from because they've walked in your shoes and they've been through it. And you could give each other tips and tricks. Have you thought about this? Depending on what stages that they're in currently. And I think that's also so powerful. It is. And then, and then one thing that I want to um, leave the listeners and viewers with is information on testing and diagnosis. So based on your personal experience, at what age do you think that individuals should start doing the preliminary testing to see if there are any genetic traits for Alzheimer's so they could catch it early on and kind of, you know, be ahead of the game? You know, I wish they did it earlier. There's a lot of tests. I mean, and you could do the 23andMe or whatever, um, the genetic testing to find out if that gene is in your family. But I would recommend going to a neurologist and just getting a checkup. If you're feel, if you if you find if people are in their 50s and 60s, I think it's hard to to know whether this is just getting older or if it's something serious. So I think that's a good thing. There's a test out there called the MMSC and it's called mini mental state exam. And what they do is they ask you three words and then in a few, in like 10 minutes later, they ask you what were those three words. Um, they ask you to draw a clock. And if you can draw the hands on the clock and know exactly where those things are and where, you know, what time would this be? Those are part of those questions. And then, um, you know, just understanding where you are in the world, who's the president, where's, you know, what street do you live on, things like that. Those are what they ask you on those tests. But a neurologist would ask those questions. And a lot of times um, these test, a pet, an amyloid PET scan for Alzheimer's is covered by the state you live in because they really want to know if people are, you know, when, when you get the a diagnosis with Alzheimer's, they immediately take your driver's license because you cannot uh, multitask and driving is a very big deal and they don't want people to be hurting people. Um, so I think getting all of these things done and, and figuring out whether it's just, uh, oh, I have a bad memory or if it's something for real, you know, you can get that amyloid PET scan if you talk to a neurologist. And it could be covered with, without without being costing anything to you. 
And thank you so much for for sharing that because I did I did not know that so that's something new, and I hope our audience walks away with that suggestion and go get a PET scan just to make sure that everything's okay. And before I chatted with you today, I was actually um, interviewing a doctor early on who specialized in internal medicine, and we had segued a, a little bit into the medical marijuana because now, depending on what states you're in, a lot of people are seeing a lot of um, benefits out of using the medical marijuana for various um, illnesses. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see if there's anything linked with Alzheimer's dementia that the medical marijuana could help with because I know it helps with epilepsy and the seizures. So if it could help control some of those brain waves, I wonder how beneficial would it help with Alzheimer's? And I'm not a doctor, so I can't really speak on that. But that would be a question that I ask next time he comes on. That would be great because I do know that there have been some studies with THC, which is what's in marijuana to help people with um, Alzheimer's. I know someone who is just was just diagnosed and she is actually doing using that. Um, so, you know, it's possible, but it's it's still, we, we just don't know, you know, it's like it affects everybody differently. Absolutely, and I think it's still too early to tell unless we get more people that are willing to sign up for maybe some of the clinical trials and the tests to really exactly. be studied with so we could document it. But from the lady that you know, um, has she mentioned any benefits that she's seen personally with the use of THC? THC, yes, it, she has. She has noticed some help with that. She she. She's still forgetful a little bit, but it's kind of keeping things at bay. So that's kind of good. I mean, her, the last six months, she hasn't really, you know, uh, declined, which is kind of a good thing, you know? And if that, when, when I was going through this, I would have tried anything. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Even like for stroke patients, because my dad, that's, I think what, part of the reasons were with him being um, wheelchair bound is he had a stroke. We asked if if they were suspecting a stroke, they said no. So his stroke went unnoticed and undetected. So he got worse than he was wheelchair bound, went to to therapy and the rest of it went downhill um, where he couldn't move himself. That led to him getting a bed sore. Then he got septic. Then just all these other things compounding. And plus we were in the height of the pandemic. So I felt a lot of negligence played a factor because people were so worried about COVID patients that they forgot Mm -hmm. about the people who did not have COVID. And so I was like, how does someone who has diabetes, because my dad had diabetes and he had to take Um, insulin. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, how does someone with diabetes walk into the hospital and three days later, entire quality of life change? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. So that's why I'm so passionate about different topics such as Alzheimer's, just to learn more about it since I don't have anyone in my family. Although I think my grandmother may have had some sense of it because she would forget things. And when I say forget, she would ask you the same question like three times. So we would kind of make a running joke, like, are you okay? But one thing that she did so good, Renee, is crossword puzzles. So I do recommend that to older people because it's a way to keep their mental um, capacity firing on all cylinders because it forces you to focus in and look for those words. I agree. I'm totally in. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. 
So as we begin to wind down, Renee, I want you to leave our listeners and viewers with a call to action for this segment. Okay, so um, first of all, I think everybody should read It's Not a Rumor. <laughs> um, and rumor is spelled R-U-M-O-U-R. Um, but it's a really fascinating book, and it, it documents the journey of, that I went through from, you know, the, the beginning stages to now. And also that I know that this is a sad disease, but there is hope, not hope of a cure immediately, but there's hope in, as long as we remember the people that are afflicted with this, that they're still alive. You know, and so that's my my call to action is, you know, just if you remember your loved ones and you um, talk about them and you share their stories and their and memories, they're always with us. Absolutely. And Renee, how can our listeners and viewers connect with you via your website and where do you hang out on social media? Okay, so um, they can connect with me through it's not a rumor dot com. I actually have a blog on it's not a rumor dot com and like I said rumor r-u-m-o-u-r that was Freddie being poetic um, and um, so there's Instagram Facebook and my all my relevant information is in there it's all on the website my email my phone number everything okay so I will definitely link all of that in the show notes so our audience can connect with you and listeners and viewers you just heard Renee Shire and we talked about various um, stages of Alzheimer's as well as some things that she has personally endured with her husband make sure you go out and grab a copy of her book it's not a rumor and really ask those questions if you know anyone that is battling with Alzheimer's share this segment we are on 40 plus platforms. I would love for you to subscribe as well as leave a review on what topics you want to hear. How has this helped you or any questions you may have for Renee? I'll definitely get them over to her. And I'd be happy to answer anything. Yes. See, knowledge is power. And then <laughs> for you YouTubers out there, follow us on YouTube at Gems with Genesis Amaris Kent for all things video content. I'm also looking for brand sponsors. So anyone that wants to continue the mission of this podcast and just support us via donations or just becoming a monthly contributor to continue with the mission to bring on more subject matter experts, as well as advance the technology like lights and microphones and all of that, I do welcome that. So you could go to genesisamariskemp.net for more info on that. And until we chat next time, ciao. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel. Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at gems, G E M S, with W I T H, Genesis, G E N E S I S, Amaris, A M A R I S, Kemp, K E M P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, Your services could be here on GEMS Podcasts.